Hey everybody, Brad Stevens here, founder and CEO of Outsource Access. We help companies redefine how they scale with offshore affordable staff from the Philippines. Congrats to all fellow winners of the 2023 Real Leaders Impact Awards. We are proud to be among you. About 10 years ago, I woke up to a major growth problem in my last business. Cash was tight, staff was overwhelmed, and tasks were not getting done. Then I discovered the world of offshore virtual staff in the Philippines where English is their second language, so there is no communication or culture gap. I realized outsourcing wasn't just call centers, it was access to college-educated Filipinos to support sales, marketing, operations, customer service, bookkeeping, personal tasks, and more. And in fact, the first woman I hired in the Philippines at 23 is now an award-winning COO of our entire company. It inspired me to launch Outsource Access. One client and YPO member, Ali Jamal, shared their offshore virtual staff Edison automated processes and saved them over 50,000 per year in the first few weeks. It's about finally getting things done and staff focusing on higher value activities. We've grown by over 2,000% in just three and a half years and will double next year. To receive a complimentary outsourcing playbook customized for your industry and to connect with one of our team here at Outsource Access, just visit RedefineScale.com. That's RedefineScale.com or text the word SCALE to 770-954-8440. Two months after hiring my first staff, she sent me a picture of shoes she bought for low-income children because of the opportunity. And now we support thousands of families and the environment with United Nations SDG projects. I'm proud we've grown with impact. To learn more, visit RedefineScale.com. Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Three, two, and one. And welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards. And joining us today, folks, we have Dr. Anastasia Volkova, the CEO and co-founder of Regrow. Anastasia, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Excited for today's conversation. And, and how does someone like you get into this space? I'm just, I want to learn, like, be very descriptive. Like, what comes to mind when, like, those early days when you're starting the company? Like, walk me through that, that uh, experience. <laughs> I think you have to be really passionate about solving a problem and that passion can be fueled by a number of things. Um, in my case, funnily, it gets fueled by a frustration of what is not done or what seems to be not done right or to the level that I think the world and humanity deserves it. And um, that's how I originally found my motivation by just looking at things in the world um, that felt like they needed to be done better. And one of those is humanity's relationship with natural resources. Um, and given we're on trend of climate change, that we're not yet able to significantly slow down or reverse, uh, it's also a very urgent issue that I think especially our generation feels directly responsible for, and it feels like the buck, the buck stops, stops rather with us. Um, so who, if not us, are going to 
look for climate solutions to challenges that are existential. So if anyone feels those kind of vibes, they could probably consider working in climate space. <laughs> and so talk about the core problem and how Regrow is going about addressing it. The core problem looks like this. Humanity has farmed land on this planet for a very long time. And we have then created a society in which we distribute incentives a certain way to make sure the food is farmed for food security to be sufficient. And in some countries, maybe more so than in others. And the way that we've incented the food system to operate hasn't necessarily been aligned with working within planetary boundaries and has been a little bit more aligned with the need for the society to feed itself. So we basically were making a trade-off between feeding ourselves and, you know, food security means literally peace, not war. So that is extremely important. At the same time, now thinking about the longevity of the food system, longevity of the soil, the ability to produce the food and fiber for the generations to come, um, is now being hindered by the effects of climate change, which agriculture inadvertently contributed to. So in very simple words, we incented not quite the right farming practices. And we now need to go back to original, good for the world, for the soil, for the planet, for the quality of water farming practices. But then you're dealing with a whole host of decisions that need to be made, where those practices poor currently, where are they good and we need to incentivize keeping them that way? Which company has influence over what supply sheds and which crops and which farmers can they quote unquote adopt to support them transitioning back to environmentally positive or climate smart ways of farming? So answering those questions requires data, science and decision support systems. And that's the problem that Regrow is looking to solve. How to inform the decisions about what gets planted where, how does it get managed? How do we feed ourselves? What ingredients do we use in the foods we make? And how can we make all these decisions within the planetary boundaries in mind? Absolutely. I mean, the world's greatest problems are the world's greatest business opportunities. It's going to take market-driven solutions to scale solutions to some of the problems that we have today. And I want to talk about scale for a moment here in Anastasia. Um, with your background, how did you go about scale and how are you currently thinking about it now? I heard a very useful definition of scale that separates it from a definition of growth. Growing is adding headcount and it's a bit more linear dependency between, say, the revenue of the company and the headcount. But if you want to decouple that revenue growth from the headcount growth, you effectively want the headcount to not follow linearly your revenue so that you become more scalable and the impact you're creating in the world can really be felt. Um, you switch to scaling paradigm and that's a mind shift because scaling is decoupling the two and understanding what are the processes where inherently it's harder to decouple the revenue growth or the impact growth from the headcount and where the areas where People have worked out, regardless of the industry, how to decouple those. IT operations, product development, engineering efficiency is areas where 
companies that are now established that are not in this new and emerging climate solution space have already shown what excellence looks like. So you can form a center of excellence around customer success or around DevOps or around um, agile product development. On the other hand, you can also argue that say customer success needs to be in very close contact and have an intimate relationship with a customer to make sure the company, of course, in addition to its leadership, spending a lot of time with its customers, stands aligned and on course of customer needs. So some can argue that that's not inherently a very scalable relationship because you want to have a one-to-one -one human connection. So there is a grade to which different companies looked at it. Like how can we, to be very tactical, um, automate some access to support documentation for the users and customers when they need it to without having to contact support or their account managers. So that then leaves more time for the meaningful work for account managers to maybe speak with customers on topics that are just foundationally more important and strategic. So there's areas you can scale through technology and automation and visibility and applying the best practices and building these centers of excellence. And on the other hand, there's something that you need to keep investing in because that's your cultural core as a company. Every company has to decide what it is. For us at Vigra, that's that love of the customer and the innovation for the space, you know, serving agri-food industries are one of our main five values as a company. Interesting approach and interesting answer. And in the current stage that you're in, Anastasia, how are you balancing headcount or let's call it culture uh, with making sure that your margins uh, are efficient and that you get to profitability. What's that balance been like for you? Yeah, and it's a fine way of weaving around an improving average. I will put it this way, because there's times when Rigo has been so capital efficient and we heard it from every investor of ours, every board member, they were really proud of how capital efficient we, we were. But we were also quite conservative with our market bets until we really felt the product market fit has taken a grasp on our solution so strongly that it was worth investing to meet the demand when it was coming at us. And in that case, you need to be investing a little bit forward of growth as well, because there are systems and processes that you have to put in place that have to be accounting for this expansion and scale. Because if you don't put the processes for scale, you end up growing, which is just that linear headcount. So I think balancing and knowing that in some markets um, where we have a strong presence, we can double down by scaling. We already know how it works. We have the pattern that we want to scale. And in some newer markets that we are uh, growing in, say Brazil, Europe, Australia, um, we're looking at the presence in those from the perspective of hypothesis and experiments and seeing how the perfect market product market fit can be achieved in those markets compared to say North America where we feel like we have it. So I think every leader has to kind of decide for themselves what is the right horses for courses approach where it's needed the scale is needed versus where you can afford a little bit more traditional growth until you work out what are those parameters of scale you really need to get a good handle on. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. And Anastasia, with everything going on right now uh, in the organization, if you had a pie chart, like how would you describe where you spend your time? I guess as a CEO at this 
very privileged stage um, because, you know, having built something from scratch with our team, I have worn very different hats and our leadership team has too. My power chart currently looks like a lot of visionary work on the industry's future. So it is ironing out and getting clarity on the category of MRV software, measurement, reporting, verification, which is essential for climate action and agriculture. It is um, that thought leadership that helps educate people as to why agriculture is one of the most um, actionable climate solutions that you can invest in right now. There's a whole piece on culture and how do we scale the culture in the company? How do we make sure we operationalize culture as part of our processes? and deliberately designing for the culture we may even aspire to sometimes until we kind of feel that we got into the cadence of it. Those two pieces are really uh, the biggest chunks of my pie chart, I would say. Um, and maybe slightly uh, smaller because it's a strategic piece, so it's very impactful, but doesn't necessarily take a lot of time is um, the strategy and vision for the product uh, with the other two in mind in terms of how do we want to show up as a company and how do we want to serve this industry's future? How is that reflected in the product that we're creating because we're a product first company? Um, those are the three biggest pieces uh, on my pie chart right now. I love that. And it really seems like you're trying to evangelize this, this movement and spread the awareness that it needs to gain momentum and have the impact that it wants. Um, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about what gets you like out of those things what gets you most into that flow state and how would you describe your flow state? She sent me hi, describe the flow state as the process where you feel so in it, in my words, right? But paraphrasing his quote and how he just defined this movement, when you feel so in it that you are at one with it with the work that you're doing, with the thoughts that you're thinking, with the processes you're trying to create. I feel the most in the flow when I'm working on the visionary thought leadership pieces because it gets me so excited that this transformation of the industry is within reach and we're seeing the industry leaders take the right steps or the steps towards that transformation and that our company can be one of the tools and one of the vehicles and one of the enablers for this transformation. This just is so thrilling. And to be engaged in this work in this near real-time fashion where I posted something on LinkedIn that was a thought piece yesterday and there was so much engagement and there's so much interest from not just people who I discuss those topics with on a regular basis, but engaging a larger audience into this conversation as to, you know, why is scope three so important for climate action? So that gives me the state of flow, that feeling of co-creation with the industry of that near future state that we aspire to attain and seeing the examples of how it's coming to fruition is what gives me more energy to invest in it. Ah, visionary. I love that. Um, and and being a visionary that you are, some sometimes it's difficult to meet people where they're at. If you're two, maybe three, maybe you're five years ahead, how do you bring that down to present day? What's been your experience in articulating the vision uh, to your leaders and, and, and their uh, subordinates? 
it's very important to know where everyone's coming from and it's both internal work and external work. Um, and I believe we owe a portion of free growth success to so much pre-work and the thinking that was coming before it and then the fact that the market kind of met us where we wanted it to be. So we were, you can say, skating where the puck was going and we met it, or I often say we were paddling towards a wave that no one else was seeing. We caught that wave. Um, so I think in translating that more external vision to internal group, it's important to know what is most influential and impactful for them, what information helps them make better decisions today. So sometimes we just have to separate and have conversations. This is a strategic product conversation. This is why it's important to talk about it with some senior leaders and the product leaders in the company to bring the context of what this should look like or could look like three years down the track, two years down the track, half a year from now, and how maybe these decisions could impact us getting there faster or slower. And you really have to localize it into their context if you want that vision to be acted upon. Sure. And describe to me, what does that vision look like? The vision for agriculture? It is the one to be driven by science and technology and to be in coexistence and in a beneficial relationship with nature on all parameters and all fronts, whether we're talking about greenhouse gas emissions, water quality, biodiversity and species preservation, how can we get agriculture to be on the same page globally with respect to how it thinks about inputs and outputs, the practices that they use and environmental outcomes that they can achieve. And of course, it all comes with a new business model with the heightened consumer awareness and investor interest in investing for resilience in the future and against the climate factors that need to be taken into account as we're planning the modern economy. Um, and I believe the future is resilience for this industry. Well, put Anastasia in all this, what is your definition of a real leader? It's a grounded leader who walks their talk, knows that they need to be the example of the leadership and culture and behavior that they want to have others exhibit. And a real Kevin is really about authenticity, isn't it? Like you speak to me in the same way that I will walk into a meeting in five minutes and they will get the same me. Like that's, I think, really important because then I hope that that gives people the permission to bring their whole selves in the best way and find their best version of themselves by doing this work. Well put for Anastasia Volkova. I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, be authentic, and always, folks, keep it real. I'm saying stay Thank you. Hey, Real Leaders, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. 
you go online to realtors.com today, you're gonna get the first 30 days for free where you're gonna be able to access all of our magazines, courses, and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.